So I'm looking at the true vine today. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to John 15, we're going to read this passage where he says he is the true vine. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is quite a well-known passage, lots of us know it quite well, but it is a confusing passage as well, and it's one that actually when you look at commentaries, there's lots of different uh, views on, on the different areas of what this actually means. And just to try and give you, I just want to start by giving you a context for this passage. What's actually happening? What was going on as Jesus told this? Um, we read in chapter 14 that they're obviously in the upper room. And Jesus has eaten with the disciples. He has had the Last Supper. And actually, Judas has just slipped off, okay, to betray Jesus. And Jesus then says, listen, let's leave and go from here. And we know they obviously go off into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus says, come and pray with me, disciples. But this is between that leaving of the upper room and coming to the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? So it's a really crucial time uh, in the run-up to Jesus' death. And actually, really what he wants to do with this is an allegory. It's a story. It's, a, it's using stuff that have symbols around them. He wants to do something in this final I am statement that he has in John. I think he, he really is wanting to bring faith and hope to his disciples. He's just told them, I'm going to be leaving you. This is their savior, the one they started to recognize as the Messiah. And actually, this passage, although lots of commentators have different views, sometimes it brings real fear, and people look at it and go, oh no, this is quite a risky passage. But actually Jesus' intention here, I think, was to bring real faith and hope to the disciples. So I want to look at how we get to that. But I think often when we look at scripture, and we look at these I am's, a lot of them are very simple. We can see from the I am what it is. And to some extent, this analogy of the vine is a simple context, but actually it's quite difficult. I think sometimes what happens is over the years, context is lost, okay? And we lose the understanding of what that actually meant. And it would be a little bit like um, talking to my kids about 9-11, yeah? We all know as soon as we say 9-11 what we're talking about there, don't we? But actually my kids don't, they weren't living in that period of time. They don't know what 9-11 is. And if you think about it, in 100 years' time, 
That's going to be even worse. And in a thousand years' time, you, you mentioned 9-11, and a lot of people will look at you and go, what on earth are you talking about, 9-11? And I think the same is true to some extent as we look at what Jesus was talking about with the true vine. Why did you use this analogy of a vine? Because was he just walking to the garden of Gethsemane, saw a vine and thought, ah, I'll pick that out, and we'll use it just as an example. I don't actually think that was the case. I think the disciples who were listening to Jesus would have understood straight away the significance of the vine. And the reason they would have understood that is because of history and because of their history, because of what God spoke over them. Because as we look at a few passages, and that's what I want to do at the start, is just to try and help us to understand what would the disciples have jumped to straight away in their heads that we don't in ours, okay? And that is the reality. And it's funny because I think Jesus often taught in parables, and he knew that parables were quite confusing. He doesn't use a parable here. He uses an allegory. It's, very, it's much more simplified, okay? It's much more, uh, there's less chance of getting it confused. And so he wanted to be very clear here. He didn't want any misinterpretation as to what he was saying. Um, and so I think he wanted to be absolutely clear He uses this term, the true vine, doesn't he? Which, by implication, suggests maybe there's some false vines. So we're going to look a little bit. What is he talking about with this false vine? Why is he the true vine? And actually, just to let you know, the term vine was used in the Bible on quite a few occasions, sort of six or seven occasions, specifically talking about the nation of Israel. Okay? This nation of Israel that God had set apart, they were referred to as the vine, okay? So, Jesus is actually saying he is the true Israel. He's the true Israel. Does that make any more sense? No. It doesn't, does it? It's still confusing until we look at the Bible and we look at just, I'm going to look at two passages just quite quickly, just to help us to understand what it was all about. So, one of these passages is going to come up in here is Psalm 80. It says this, Remember how you bought a young vine from Egypt, cleared out the brambles and briars, and planted your very own vineyards? You prepared the good earth, you planted her roots deep, the vineyard filled the land, your vines soared high and shaded the mountains, even dwarfing the giant cedars. Your vine ranged west to the sea, east to the river, So why do you no longer protect your vine? Trespassers pick its grapes at will. Wild pigs crash through and crush it, and the mice nibble away at what's left. God of the angel armies, turn our way. Take a good look at what's happened and attend to this vine. Care for what you once tenderly planted, the vine that you raised from a shoot. That's Psalm 80. And that's in reference to the nation of Israel as they came um, out of Egypt, as they were rescued out of Egypt. And this is a, a poem, in one sense, talking about n- the nation of Israel being this vine and how, actually, God lovingly took them out of Egypt. He tenderly planted them into the promised land. And these vines were growing lush, and they were growing large. They were spreading east, and they were spreading west. So their territory was increasing in size. 
And so this was the nation of Israel in the promised land where God had said you're going to be and you're going to be fruitful. But as we see in this, this vine grows wild. And actually it says that it was essentially plundered and ravaged. Okay, So this nation that was growing, that looked beautiful, that had been planted by God, he had established this land, started to grow wild and started to be plundered by other armies. So that gives you an idea, a little of an idea of what we're talking about when we're talking about the vine. And the nation of Israel would have known the promises God spoke over them. They would have recognized that God had planted them as a vine. He'd used this term. I want to look at one other passage. It's Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5. And uh, we're going to look at verses 1 to 2 and 6 to 7. It says, I'll sing a ballad to the one I love. A love ballad. This is actually the message version, by the way. A love ballad about his vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard. A fine, well-placed vineyard. He hoed the soil and pulled the weeds and planted the very best vines. He built a lookout, built a wine press, a vineyard to be proud of. He looked for a vintage yield of grapes. For all his pains, he got junk grapes. And then verses 6 to 7. Do you get it? The vineyard of God of the angel armies is the country of Israel. All the men and women of Judah are the garden he was so proud of. He looked for a crop of justice and saw them murdering each other. He looked for a harvest of righteousness and heard only the moans of victims. This nation of Israel that God had chosen, he'd set apart, he called them to be a blessing to the nations. There was promises that he had spoken over them, covenants he had made with them. And this nation that had been called to bear fruit, as a vine does, was bearing fruit, but it was rotten fruit. Did you see that? Junk grapes, the message refers to it as. This nation of Israel essentially is an empty vine. Honestly, empty vines are not producing ripe fruit. They're not producing the ripe fruit. They're good for nothing. And essentially this vine that had so much promise over it is failing. It's been planted by the vine dresser. And yet it's failed at every point to produce the harvest it was meant to produce. The growth it was meant to have hasn't happened in the way that it was promised. And I was thinking about this and I thought, you know what, if we're honest in our own lives, we can feel similar at times, can't we? I was thinking about um, me as a teenager and the pressures of growing up in a family of six children and six children within six years. And we know in my kids, we have a little bit of competitive edge, our kids. You give them one task to do and suddenly they'll, they'll rip each other's heads off to do it. And um, there was a lot of pressure, I think, growing up in my household, even growing up in the area that we grew up. And um, I think our, as we look at it, our families can put us under unnecessary pressure. I don't know if you felt like that, um, that we have to live up to. Our friends, when we look around, can feel like we look at them and we see them far more successful than we are. And we seem to fail at so many turns. 
And I remember these expectations that were put over me as a child. And um, I was bright, and I got a scholarship into a private school, and yet I lost my thirst for that education, and I started to rebel. And as I processed, why did I rebel? Actually, some of the reason there was a rebellion there was because of the pressure that was put on me. And it was easier for me to readjust the expectation that had been put on me to a high extent and just say, I'm going to rebel, I'm not going to work, I'm not going to get the, the grades that you want me to get. And let's just put the expectation down here. And as I think about it, that is actually one of the key reasons there was rebellion going on in my life. Because the pressure that was there, the expectations that my parents, my grandparents, whether they knew it or not, were putting on, even being part of a larger family, being having a scholarship into a school, and just recognizing this pressure and actually having to work hard to do that. I felt like actually it was much easier for me to just rebel, to not do any work, to be the kid in the class who every report said loads of potential but doesn't work hard enough. And I think as I think about Israel here, Jesus steps in at this point here, isn't he? And he says to his disciples, I am the true vine. I'm the true Israel. He's essentially saying, I am going to do, or I have done what you have not done. I am being what you have not been able to be. And I'm going to accomplish what you could never, ever accomplish as a nation. And it's funny because sometimes we look at that and we think, this, sometimes you think, is this a big-headed thing to say? This wasn't a, in a big-headed way at all. Actually, what Jesus was looking to do here with the disciples was to remove the burden of failure for them as a nation. The shame that came with failure. Jesus was looking to take that burden off their shoulders and saying, it's okay. I am the true vine. I am the one that you can put your trust in. And so we're going to look at this now as we start to get an understanding more of what he meant when he was talking about being this true vine, of being the one who actually was going to accomplish everything they could never accomplish as a nation. So there's obviously a few characters. We talked a little bit about those. Obviously, we've got the vine dresser. Just to give you a heads up, this is God, the Father. We have the vine, and this is Jesus. And we have the branches, which I'm going to say is disciples of Jesus, or you and I. And the important thing is we look at this I am, and, and for every I am is... When we start to understand the meaning, the true meaning of what he meant as being a true vine, it helps us, because it helps us to apply to our lives. What does that mean for us now? And I want to say that his timing, as he brought this to the disciples, was absolutely crucial. You, okay, he was hours away, potentially, from being um, crucified. He was hours away from being taken away from the disciples, and as I said, this was their friend, their Messiah, their rabbi, their teacher. And I think Jesus here, fundamentally, as he's bringing this teaching, he wants to express to them in this final time that he has with them, before his death, something so key 
He wants to let them know about the vital relationship that they can have with him and with his father and how vital that relationship is in their lives. Jesus needed them to know that even though he was going to go away for a while, that his fruitful work would continue and would continue through them. Okay, So I want to look at just briefly three aspects of this passage that are going to help us to apply the meaning of this true vine. Okay, Firstly, I want to look at the fact that branches, disciples, must remain in the vine. Okay. Secondly, I want to look at that branches that remain will bear fruit. And thirdly, I want to look at the fact that the vine dresser, the gardener, God, prunes branches so that they can be more fruitful than they already are. Okay. So firstly, <laughs> remain. That's not a political statement, people. Feel no shame whether you, whether you voted remain or leave. But actually this term remain is very significant for us, isn't it? Actually, it's a term that isn't used that much nowadays, but we've used it a lot now because of, because of this, because of the EU and remaining. And um, I was thinking about this and I was thinking actually when we talk about remain, it's, it, it, is a, it is a word we don't often use. And I was thinking about our belly buttons Believe it or not, not, not blue belly button fluff, but our belly buttons are a constant reminder of something. They're a constant reminder of that vital connection that we once had with our mothers, all of us. As we're in the womb, we're all connected to our mothers by our umbilical cord, aren't we? And the umbilical cord that we have is vital. Actually, it does two life-saving jobs for us. First, it carries the necessary food and oxygen so that we can grow and we can live. And secondly, it carries away all that waste so that we don't suffocate in, in it. And without this connection that we have with our umbilical cords to our mothers, none of us could have lived, could we? And just as the umbilical cord provided a vital connection to mum, I want to say... The same is true of the vine, this vital connection to the relationship of Jesus that we have. And this illustration that he uses of the vine is obviously, it's obvious. If a branch is not connected to the vine, it will quickly wither and die. Without a connection to the true vine, Jesus, not a single one of us will live spiritually or eternally. Do you understand that? As you pick up, obviously at the minute, you know, we've got branches blowing off trees all the time because of the winds. You pick it up, that branch, it doesn't matter what you do with it, it's come away from the tree. And there's only one destiny for it, and that is death. It's dead, it's not connected. The same is true for us when we look at our spiritual lives when it comes to Jesus. It's that important. He is our lifeline. In fact, the Greek verb meno, which is remain, is mentioned 11 times in this passage. 
Remain in me as I remain in you. A branch cannot bear fruit unless it remains in the vine. We can't bear fruit unless we remain in Jesus. Those who remain in Jesus bear much fruit. We remain in Jesus by having his word remain in us. We remain in his love by obeying his commands. Remain, remain, remain. This is the key word that he's using. And it's a word that seems ever so simple. And yet when we look at our lives, honestly, this idea of abiding or remaining is never so easily worked out, is it? I think the reason is we like to connect ourselves to other things, don't we? We have this automatic instinct, I think, in ourselves. The Bible calls it sin. But just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, who chose to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, I think they wanted to become like God, didn't they? They wanted to have his knowledge. And I want to say we too suffer from the exact same condition that they suffer from. Let's not kid ourselves. We think we know what is best for us. And we think we know what's going to bring us life, don't we? And we connect ourselves up. We connect ourselves up to our technology. Thinking it's going to bring us much joy in life as we connect up to the latest calendar. Which is going to just organise us and make life just so good. We connect ourselves up to escapism. Through TV. Through sport. Through books. That we think are going to bring life to us. I think we can even connect ourselves to things church-related, to online preachers, to blogs, writers that are excellent, that bring provocation for us. But actually still, without being connected directly to Jesus, it's still death. We know it, don't we? He is the way, the truth, and the life. Without being connected directly to the vine, we have no life. It's that simple. That's what Jesus says. We even know it as I was thinking about our values. Loving God. None of the others can happen without our love for him increasing. None of it happens. This connection with Jesus is our vital lifeline. And if we don't connect to him and we connect to other things instead, there won't be life. Secondly, the second thing we see in this illustration that is if a branch does remain in the vine, it will bear fruit. Do we have any keen gardeners here? Margie? My wife's quite a keen gardener. None of that garden is down to me. It's all my wife, actually. Do you know, I've been investigating some facts about gardening because I don't know much about it, and about grapevines specifically. And I found that um, the grapevine is the most fruitful plant in the entire world. Do you know that? No. This grapevine here is in Hampton Court. It's, got, it's in the world record books as the largest vine in the world. It's been growing there for over, well, about 250 years. And at its base, 
it is four meters wide. Its branches are over 200 feet long. And every single year, it yields almost a ton of fruit or grapes from it. Interesting. I didn't expect it to be in the UK. I expected it to be in France or, or something like that, you know. But Jesus uses this symbol, doesn't he, of the grapevine because he wants to speak to us specifically about fruitfulness. Okay? So what is this fruit that he's talking about when he talks about fruitfulness? Because he says that without him, we can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. And I was thinking about this. There are lots of things that we can do, aren't there? But I think there are lots of ways we can mistake what this fruit is. And the world might call it success. Okay? A good job, a stable marriage, a happy family, the right car, the right house, the right clothes, the right friends, whatever it is. But I think all of these things are the things people chase after in the world, aren't they? They could actually be seen as the fruits of our labor. You know, it's that term. But I don't actually think this is the fruit that Jesus is talking about here as the vine. We actually read in this passage that the fruit is fruit that will last. We read it is, it's much fruit. And it's fruit that brings glory to the Father. It actually mentions that our love will increase and our joy will be made complete. This fruit, I think, is the fruit of the life of the vine. Okay, it's the fruit of who Jesus is in essence. Okay, Galatians 5, many of you know, I think helps us to see where we are truly plugged in to the vine or whether we've been feeding on other things. Okay, so if you want to ask yourself, am I truly plugged into the vine? Am I bearing the type of fruit that Jesus has said I will bear if I am connected? We look at Galatians 5. Okay. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and self-control, gentleness and self-control. Nine of those fruits. And if you remember, I did speak on this a little while ago. I spoke about the fact that this fruit um, is actually named as fruit, not fruits. Okay? So when we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit... I've used this example here, and I use it back then, of a prism of light. You know, essentially, this is like God's holiness. If you imagine the light going into the prism, and it comes out, and you've got these nine colors, or nine fruits. And I don't, think it's ex- I don't think that's an exhaustive list. I think, actually, there are lots of fruits of the Spirit there, but these are the nine that are mentioned. But as, as we receive God's holiness, as we receive Jesus, as we're plugged into the vine, lots of things are going to come out. And they grow together, okay? And um, it's not actually about picking off any one individual item in this list of fruits, okay? Or list of fruit. I should use that term, not fruits. It is fruit of the Spirit. I think so often when we look at this list, we can start looking at it and we start to to look at ourselves and we can see certain fruit there that we think, yeah, I've I've got some of that. Uh, That one definitely comes easier to me than that one patience for me is feeling pretty hard at the minute with the kids being off school and just the way that they're behaving and I'm thinking man this one's really testing me and I think so often we can 
look at it and we can start to try and manage or master one of them and go, right, okay, I'm going to set myself. I think, I think I like the look of those ones. Those ones look cool, those six there. Those three there, I'm just going to leave those for the time being. That can be our mentality when it comes to looking at the fruit of the Spirit. I want to say that is absolutely wrong. Okay, It's going to lead to imbalance in our lives. And um, I think it's really healthy to keep looking back here at Galatians 5. When you're having your quiet times, this can be an area you can keep coming back to and saying, Lord, how am I doing here with these with this fruit of yours, this love and this joy and this peace and this patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. How am I doing? And you can be asking yourself, almost like a health check. I think it's really helpful to do. This isn't like a shopping list. I don't think in, this, is, this isn't Paul's shopping list of, well, you know, I'll, I'll take that one, I'll take that one, but don't need that one. I'm happy not to have that one, actually. It isn't like that. Actually, these things work together. They grow together. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And it'd be a little bit like going to the gym and working on one particular muscle, wouldn't it? Right, this is it, love. That's my one. I'm just going to do that. And you come out like Popeye on one arm. It actually makes our entire body look disproportionate, doesn't it? And that isn't the idea of this fruit. So if we spend our time just focusing on a few, we end up with imbalanced characters. And just say this fruit is about character. Okay? This fruit grows to gr- together and it all balances each other out. And I want to say just a few things. This fruit is not stuff we do in order to get love and acceptance from God. Okay? That isn't the idea of this fruit. We don't try and work really hard to get this fruit because we think it's going to make us be more loved or accepted by God. This fruit is actually what develops in our lives based on loving him and being connected to him. Okay? It's actually what happens as he changes us from the inside out. This fruit simply comes from remaining in him. It is just about simply, and I know it sounds simple, just loving him. Loving him. And I know that can sound passive. You know, when we talk about just being connected, it can can sound a bit passive. Well, okay, this fruit's just going to happen. I want to say this. Actually, it isn't all just passive. The very fact that we're told to remain 11 times means this thing's difficult and yet vital. Okay? This is not a passive thing. But I want to say this. This fruit that comes, comes just from remaining. We don't have to work at the fruits. We have to work at remaining and loving. And this fruit happens because we're connected to him. I was going to say it happens naturally. It happens supernaturally through a work of the Spirit. It isn't about us trying really hard to make this fruit grow. We're a vine. If we are connected to the vine, we grow healthy fruits. It's as simple as that. And yet, 
This is not a passive thing. Even in the passage of Galatians, Paul talks about walking in step with the Spirit. There's an action for us. This isn't sit back and just be. Although there is a sense of being who we are. But there's a remain. Remain, remain, remain. Without him, we can do nothing. Nothing of any great significance? No. Nothing. We can't do anything without him. Not leading churches. Not leading our family, our kids' work, our life groups. Without him, he's saying it's nothing. It's meaningless. It amounts to nothing because it's death. Thirdly, on that happy note, we see this illustration that the branches that bear fruit are pruned and branches that bear no fruit are thrown away. Okay, branches that bear fruit are pruned, branches that bear no fruit are thrown away. As I said to you at the beginning, there's a lot of controversy over this passage and this is where the controversy comes. Okay, when people try and discern who are the branches that are thrown away? I don't know how it made you feel as you read that. The branch that's thrown away without the fruit is thrown into the fire. Some would suggest, actually, that these are people who pretend to be with Jesus. And Judas would be the ultimate example, actually, when you think about the timing here. Okay? They've left the upper room. Judas has gone off to betray him. He was with the disciples for three years. He served as a disciple. And some would say that actually this is about people who are counterfeits, who come and do, be in a church, or they're with Jesus, and yet actually they're a counterfeit disciple. They're not actually connected up to the vine. They never were. And um, as I say, Judas would be, for commentators, that example of someone who was with Jesus and yet... Betray Jesus. And I think we can get caught up in this verse. I think commentators get caught up in this verse. And for me, it's about not getting ahead of ourselves. Let me just explain what I mean by that. I think some of the thoughts that can go through your head as you start to read this, could that be me? Am I being fruitful? Is he going to look at the fruit that's been going on in my life and go, huh, it's not good enough. Here you go. And I think actually you're getting ahead of yourself. We've actually discussed what are the keys. The key is remaining in him. So if we start looking at our fruits, start trying to judge our own fruits or judge others' fruits, we're in trouble. I think actually it's very simple again. Let's come back to the simplicity of this passage. Am I remaining in Jesus? Am I growing in love with him more day by day? Can I see the fruit of him in my life? And you know, just coming back to the, to the meaning of this message, it wasn't to bring fear. The timing was crucial. The disciples were already scared. This was to bring faith and hope to the disciples. So here we've got the gardener, the vine dresser. It's God the Father. And we're told that he is the one who prunes. He has the pruning shears in his hands. 
And you know, he is in the business of pruning any fruit-bearing branch so that it will bear more fruit. Okay? The gardener who prunes his vine, I want to say this, he works with extreme care. There is no threat in this picture of God as the gardener who prunes his vines. There's no warning of produce or else. The pressure is not on us to produce the fruit. Do you understand that? Stop looking at the fruit and start looking at, am I in love with him? Am I spending time with him? Am I growing in love with him? The fruit will come. But if our focus becomes the fruit, it's a little bit like the works. It's, it's actually, our focus has to be him. Remaining in him. Enjoying him. It's not something we have to strive to make sure it happens. Okay? This fruit will come presuming we are attached to him. But I want to say this, pruning is inevitable in our lives and it's healthy according to this. I know when I was looking at these garden facts, horticulturalists, you like that, that term, for those of you who are avid gardeners, they know that if they don't prune the vine, that you stop the vine's fruitfulness. Do you know what happens? It either grows too much fruit. Actually, a lot of the, a lot of the pruning is these vines will just keep producing. But they start producing fruit that is useless. It doesn't ripen properly. And too much fruit means the thing can't grow properly. And the other thing that happens, if you don't prune it properly, it just becomes wild and grows out of shape. And so we have to look at this pruning process by God, the vine dresser, as something healthy. Okay? Every year we're told that the vine is pruned. It has to be to produce the fruit that it's going to do each year so that we can get the quality of the fruit. It needs to be pruned. And I want to say this, what we may find is the pruning process is not always one that we find ourselves jumping for joy about. In fact, I think we can find ourselves pretty sad at times in pruning seasons. Hebrews 12 says this, he says, God disciplines us for our own good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I think I mentioned at the beginning of the year, I talked about suffering. I think we need to be really careful about what we declare is God's pruning and what's not. That's not for us to judge, okay? Let's just be careful about when we look at someone's life and we see things going on, those things are not always God's pruning. God's pruning will bring fruit, okay? And I think he uses it because often we get distracted by other things, other things in our lives that actually aren't on him. And God is pruning us to become more like him. He's pruning us so that we can grow more dependent on him daily. God is pruning us so that we can declare in all circumstances of life his goodness, his faithfulness. God is pruning us ultimately so we can become more fruitful. And that's key for us as a church, guys. Because if we want to reach this city, 
We want to grow in fruit, don't we? And so we have to be prepared to take that pruning process and to keep growing and keep declaring his goodness and look at it. And sometimes in that pain, in that hurt, this is what community is about. We grow in community. We grow together. And we want to grow as a healthy vine, don't we? That God has definitely planted here as Freedom Church. The true vine. So, just to recap, God is the true vine. He's the true Israel who has not failed at every turn, but who has conquered. He is full of life in abundance. And we are to remain in him. Enjoying him, growing through him in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And we must expect that God is tenderly growing us and pruning us so that we can bless this city. We can bring blessing to our neighbors, our spouses, our kids, our community. And we get to, this passage says... We get to glorify the gardener. We get to glorify God as we receive fullness of joy in this process. There's going to be joy that comes as we see each other's lives growing. This isn't a jealousy looking at other people and going, oh, look at all their fruit. Let's not get like that. There's a joy as we see God pruning, as we see God growing individuals and the body together as we see God using our fruitfulness to be a blessing to each other and to this city and to the nation and to the nations do you get that great Chris was talking there about remaining in Christ remaining in the vine I just felt like there might be some people here who just feeling like well that's it's all very well to try and remain but actually I feel like I'm cut off already how could I remain when I don't even feel like I'm attached to the vine whether that's you're just feeling distant from God at the moment um whether it feels like he's just not there like you're just not connected at all whether it, whether it feels like that in relationships in in your connection to church and your connection to your your brothers and sisters in Christ you just feel actually like I, I can't even remain in the vine because I'm not actually attached in the first place I just felt just re- reminded of another piece of scripture <coughs> where it talks about being grafted in um, Paul talks about actually as, as, as non-Jews, as people who aren't part of the original Israel, we are grafted into the vine. And grafting in is this amazing process where you can take a piece of branch from another plant and attach it to the original plant and bind it in and actually it will bear fruit because it's grafted in. And I just wanted to just, just give that message actually. If, if you're feeling, you know, do you know what, I'm not connected to the vine. I'm not, I don't feel part of it. Actually, it's not too late. You can still be grafted in. You can be reattached to the vine. If you feel like you're not there at the moment, that can be that can be fixed. Actually, there's a way around that. So, if if you're feeling that this morning, if you just feel, you know what? I feel distant. I feel disconnected. I don't feel like I can remain because I'm not even attached. I'd love to pray with you this morning, and just just to remind you, actually, that's okay. You can be reattached to that vine. We can graft you back in. You can you can just get get straight back into that vine. It's not a problem. Um, so Deb's going to lead some worship. If if you feel that way this morning. I'll just be at the back over there. If, you, if I'd love to pray with you, if you feel like that. But let's stand.
and let's uh, let's worship God.